You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Sonal standing in for Georgia Tully. And on the show today, we discussed fire safety that after a tragic incident that took place in International City, leading to the death of one and two people getting injured. Does it need to be this way? What are the cause behind these residential fires here in the UAE and what can be done about it? We also caught up with Paula Ralph. Now, she is a woman who was on a journey all the way from Cape Town in South Africa to Nordkap in Norway. She's doing this all on her bike, 20,000 kilometers. She's got an incredible story that inspired that journey as well. And finally, what do you have planned for New Year's Eve? Do you like to stay at home and save a little cash or do you just splurge it all? We had Emily Jenkins, Senior Manager, Product Development at DW Travel, join us to talk about some travel trends for 2024 as well. Boxing Day for so many people who do celebrate this period. You've got myself, Sonal, on the agenda this morning. Milani alongside me as well. Good morning, Milani. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Sonal. How was Christmas for you, Milani? Did you have a good time? You have some family visiting from out of town? Yes, it's so lovely. My my mom, my brother and uh, his family are here in the UAE. So they came around... Uh, December 22nd. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll be staying for Christmas and New Year. Oh, very nice. Yes. Um, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit already off the bat. It's our first week working together, our first time in the studio together. And I'm just going to go there, Milani. What did you decide to do yesterday? Because Poonam and I called you crazy earlier today. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I had to service a church. After that, that is uh, early afternoon. Right after church, we went to Dubai Mall. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. I just think it's why? crowded. What could, yeah. what could take you there on one because of the Busiest year, days probably of the year. <laughs> no, because I have tourists with me, right? So yeah. my mom, it's her first time to be traveling here in the UAE. My brother has been here for like one or two times already, yeah. but but the family's first time as well. So it's like, okay, let's go to the Burj and let's watch the fountain. Oh, it's like, that is yeah. really nice. And the kids also wanted to go um, to go to do to ski Dubai. Yeah, that's a great way to that's a great way to spend some time. And um, you know what we thought we'd do to kick off the show today is a bit of a news roundup because for a lot of people, I have to admit, myself included, it's the first day back this week. You know, we're catching you up on what happened here in the UAE over a festive weekend when you were busy, kind of getting some food in your belly, spending time with family. There's obviously a lot that went on in the meantime. So we wanted to do a quick little roundup, some of the major stories that we saw over the course of the weekend. And we're going to actually start with a bit of a sad story. Uh, There was a huge blaze in a residential block in International City 1. So the authorities have already released some images and videos of people being rescued from that particular situation. Uh, Sadly, it did claim the life of one resident, two others were left injured and this all took place on Saturday afternoon. So Dubai Civil Defense were on the scene. They contained the fire. They evacuated the residential building, which is of a medium size. And it's unclear yet. We don't have any word on how the fire started. So we're still waiting for some further yeah, details exactly. and investigation on that one. Yeah, it's it's really sad, Sonal, because I was living in International City mm. before for about five years before we transferred to Al-Furjan. And, you know, some of our contacts there, our friends, we were asking them, how are they? Because at, you know, the initial stories, we didn't have the details. Where is it exactly? Is yeah, it International City 1 or Phase 2? And then we found out it's inter- International City 1, but on a different cluster. So right. friends are safe, but yeah. 
Sadly, one died and uh, two are injured. Yeah, and along those lines, we're going to be speaking to Gary Sherrington Boyd. He's a fire safety expert. So that's going to be happening at 1130 on the show today. Another area, a theme that we saw over the course of the weekend were a lot of road and traffic related stories, which is why our lead story is related to that. Um, But, you know, just to start with a few of them, Dubai's Roads and Transport Authority had to close down a section of Emirates Road. A lot of people observing that there were some delays and... um, uh, closure on Emirates Road. That was actually due to water accumulation that had built up. So they have come back and said the flow of traffic has now been restored on that stretch of Emirates Road between Expo Road and Al-Fayat Truck Road as well, which had previously been closed in both directions for a short period of time. We also have some updates from the Roads and Transport Authority on public bus shelters. Yes, yes. So the RTA is set to construct uh, over 700 public bus shelters in strategic locations throughout the Emirate. So a According to the project plan, all the shelters will be scheduled for completion by the year 2025. So the RTA is exploring the use of 3D printing technology and the construction of some shelters on trial basis. I think that's really interesting. 3D printing technology and construction is also a big theme. So to be able to see these in bus shelters, and let's be honest, we've all found ourselves on the roads looking for some shelter from the heat. And those bus shelters are critical. Exactly. You know, for they whatever some, reason. Yeah, exactly. If they need to, you know, do some wait time. So at least they're relaxed. They are, they're comfortable as well. Yeah. And they have said, the RT has said that a key focus area is going to be on mass transportation, public transportation services going forward, of course, as well. Uh, another area of news we saw, but this time moving over to the capital, Abu Dhabi Police, in collaboration with the Integrated Transport Center, has announced that workers' buses with a capacity of 26 or more passengers are banned on Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan's Street. That's between the Sheikh Zayed Bridge to the Sheikh Zayed Tunnel. And that's going to be in both directions. So basically, that's just to ensure a smoother traffic flow. We know sometimes with some of those larger vehicles with buses and trucks that it can really hold up the traffic. So just to ensure that that isn't the case and to minimize accidents in that particular area, they've banned buses that are large with a capacity of 26 or more passengers. That's a big help for sure. I was actually in Abu Dhabi uh, during the week and we visited our aunt because, of course, the family's here. So, yeah, it's a big help, especially if you want to, you know, to move to a faster lane mm-hmm. but if the b- large vehicles are blocking the other lanes it's much easier for our drivers to switch lanes as well yeah and it's interesting you say that because that's one of the things we're going to be discussing in just a few minutes with our guests this idea and this actually came from a little reddit thread that we saw uh, about you know there's a bit of a play that goes on sometimes on the roads with the different lanes and what's meant to happen in them of course if you are in the fast lane you are meant to give way if somebody is coming up behind you trying to go at a faster speed Sometimes that's difficult because sometimes the person in the second lane is going at an incredibly slow pace. I know. (laughs) And you've got trucks sometimes, you know, blocking up the last lane. So you find yourself in a bit of a conundrum. What do you do? Do you just stay in the second lane going at a significantly slower pace? Do you kind of try to go and overtake and come back out? Do you just stay in the fast lane and you don't give way for anybody? There's there's a certain sort of sense of injustice that you get sometimes. When you feel like somebody has been improper with you on the roads, it's quite an emotional thing. Exactly. Very much. And, you know, just to continue on the theme of reckless driving as well, another news article we saw over the course of the weekend was reckless drivers who were fined 50,000 dirhams. Their licenses also suspended. This was in Alain. And the Alain Traffic Court had convicted three people for reckless driving um, and suspended their driving license for three months as well. They were ordered to do community service. Charges included endangering the lives of fellow road users and engaging in dangerous displays on public roads, intentionally causing damage to public property, and 
operating their vehicles without number plates as well. So a lot of a lot of different stories making the news headlines over yes. the course of the week. And we will be looking at some of those in a little bit more detail over the course of the show today. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. You are tuned into the agenda. And one of the major stories over the weekend that we discussed earlier was a huge blaze that took place in a residential block in International City One. It did actually claim the life of one resident. Two others were injured as well when that fire took place on Saturday afternoon. Dubai Civil Defense were on the scene and quickly contained the fire, helped to evacuate the residential building, which was a medium rise building. And authorities haven't said yet how the fire was started. So we're still waiting for an investigation and further details to be released on that. But for now, we are joined by Gary Sherrington Boyd. He's a fire expert. He's director for Rotorex Fire Tech. Gary, thanks for joining us on Teams. Good morning. Happy Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day to you too. I hope you had a good Christmas. Yes, yeah, we're still, uh, as, as Brit expats, Boxing Day is as important as Christmas Day. So, yeah, we're still still in the festivities. Well, all the all the more of a thank you then from us at Dubai for joining oh, us no on problem. Boxing Day. So, no problem. So I really appreciate that. And unfortunately, to talk about rather somber news, of course, with that yeah. fire that took place over the weekend, I think there's still a bit of a lacking of awareness, perhaps, when it comes to fires across the UAE. What, I mean, what are the most frequent causes that we're seeing for, for these kinds? of incidents well if you look at residential fires if you look at it's difficult here because you know i have to say first of all a big shout out to dubai civil defense and dubai police because the police were involved in rescue as well they did a stellar job you know and and they risked their lives to you know yes it's their job but they still risk their lives to um to to save lives so a massive shout out to them because it does look like quite a violent incident um and as you said there was a fatality so that would um sort of escalate the seriousness of the fire at hand and you know it does raise a lot of questions um and you know if you look at the main sources of fire you know i can only go by statistics based around the rest of the world because we're not very good here at actually sharing that much information but the 78 percent are if you look at northern america 78 percent of all fires start in the kitchen Right. And is that simply from from gas? Is it improper usage somehow or is it um, um, yeah, faulty it's, equipment? It's the st- it's the cooking stove or it's mm. cooking with gas, you know, and and the problem we have in and, and again, what what I'll say now is just conjecture in my opinion. Um, obviously, I, I, it's not like I'm in the know, but, you know, we had an incident earlier in the year um, and it, the, the challenge is these shared apartments. Now, I know online we're talking about this place being a hotel. Uh, I think probably more Airbnb and you've got, you know, and if you read the reports, one apartment had maybe five different nationalities all rescued from Mm -hmm. the apartment. So it's unlikely they're all on holiday together and they're all college buddies. So they will be all individuals crammed into one small apartment. Um, You know, and I said there was an incident early in the year where it's believed that the the, the main cause of the fire was... um, um, a, a gas stove in someone's bedroom. Right. So they've hooked up a little mobile camping stove to a gas cylinder in their bedroom, and oh. uh, there was an expo- and there was an explosion. So that's the challenges, you know. And 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 
and myself and our company that, that I work for, I've done a, a lot of work this year with um, uh, civil defense, uh, but more importantly, the Emirates Safety Laboratories, who are really upping the game in this region for fire standards and fire certification, um, to the point that countries like Saudi Arabia are sort of following suit and, and relying on their expertise to help improve their standards. The challenge you've got is until the authorities start handing out proper jail time to landlords and building maintenance companies for allowing the shared uh, residential um, uh, model uh, to cram in as many people into small areas, um, then nothing's really going to change. You can have the best buildings in the world, the best designs in the world, the best cladding, the best fire suppression. But if you've still got landlords out there who are fundamentally greedy uh, and get away with it, nothing's really going to change. And, and this is probably with the sixth or seventh interview I've done this year mm -hmm. with you guys on exactly the same subject. Fire, residential building, probably started in the kitchen. It's, you know, we've not had... if you. It, it, if you look at five years ago in the summer, there were regular fires in the towers in the marina, right? Do you right. remember the, you're right? Of course. There's, been no, there's been nothing for a couple of years. Why? Because the marina as a, as a re, as an area, prices have gone up and also buildings have stepped in more to, to really put a stop to the shared, um, the, the shared apartment model. Mm -hmm. um, more families or more friends that are living together rather than strangers. And now the problems we're seeing now in the uh, international cities and the barshes and, and, and those sorts of areas is the same problem that was in the marina five, six years ago. That, and it's just spread out because these people aren't in the marina anymore. They're in different zones, right. if, that make, if that makes sense. So, yeah, kitchen fire, shared um and and and, and it was there was sort of a, a really warm story that came from it but at the same time a story that was sort of concerning was there was an, an, an individuals that reported that members of the public that were kicking down doors and grabbing people and raising the alarm and helping people and going back in afterwards so you know amazing but where was the fire alarm right why why why, why where's the fire alarm yeah. And what I mean, also, when it comes to public behavior, obviously, people want to help. They want to do the right thing. What's the best way to approach this? If you do find yourself in that situation already and you want to raise the alarm, of course, there should be a fire alarm doing just that. Um, and, and you want to help people. What's the most responsible course of action? Oh, it's really difficult because I suppose if your, your natural reaction is to, to help people. Um, but at the same time, it sounds really harsh, but even though you've gone in to help people, I think if you're coming down the stairwell and you're leaving the building, you know, scoop up as many people as you can. If they're people that, you know, uh, that maybe aren't as physically strong as you or as quick as you, you know, help them. But once you're out, you're out. Don't go back in because actually all you're doing now is adding another body for the fire services and the police services to rescue. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that the alarm should have been doing some work there. But it, on another topic, for those buildings that do have functioning alarms, sometimes they're set off really easily. You'll find a common behavior of people lingering or waiting to see if it's a drill, if it's an accident. Most times, actually, it seems to be just that before deciding that they really need to get out. I mean, how do you feel about that? Is there an issue sometimes with alarms being too sensitive that causes behavior where people don't take it seriously enough? Well, again, in, in it's... Again, this is all opinion, and uh, I hope my visa doesn't get cancelled. But, you know, in normal buildings, there will be a notice on a lift saying there will be a fire test at 10 a.m. Monday morning. No yep. one does fire tests at night. 
you know, the whole point of, of a fire alarm is that if it goes off in strange hours of the day, it's probably because there is a problem. Um, now, it could be a false alarm, but that doesn't mean that you um, you be aware. You know, let's see, because the, the way the fire alarm systems work here, it's really cool. So you've got smoke detectors in every room, normally heat detection in the kitchen. Um, and uh, that's all linked to the building internal electrics. And then there's a red box in every building. It's like the law. There's a red box in every building. And all those alarms are linked to the red box. And then the moment a uh, smoke detector goes off, it sends a signal to the red box. That red box is connected directly to civil defense, whether that be Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Alain, wherever. Um, so within milliseconds, the fire services and the rescue services are aware that uh, there's a smoke detector in that building on that floor on alarm. So it's then down to the building maintenance and building security to um to make sure that you know, is it real is it not is there is it, is it a false alarm um is it can they control it and 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 that can be achieved really quickly i mean we're, we're in a villa now but we spent most of the time you know in the, in the nine years or, or so we've been in dubai a lot of the time in the marina um and i remember setting the fire alarm off once a smoke detector off once when we were in one of the towers and within about three and obviously being in fire it was like, oh my, how embarrassing! It's like a, it's like a chef burning it's, it's a steak, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and within three minutes, everyone was aware that it was just a, a silly chap burning some cooking. Um, so, you, you know, the authorities put systems in place to recognise quite quickly: is it real or is it not? Right. Now, the the idea that there's someone running around the building knocking on doors, making, and there was one report. And again, I'm only reading the information that I've been given online. There's one report of someone being woken up and smoke in their apartment. Where's the alarm? I also look at the footage. Where's the sprinklers? I I don't see any footage of of firemen and the the, the general public drenched because the sprinkler system's gone off. I think, you know, you've got to ask, you know, and as I said at the the start, you know, and it sounds really harsh, but you've got civil defence working as hard as they are to try and bring standards and, 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 and bring a certain control to the region with regards to fire safety. And that's that's not just the obvious stuff like you know, sprinkler systems, but that's like cladding. That's like making sure that people understand the, that they've got the right fire extinguishers in the right rooms. You know, there's no point having a fire extinguisher in the kitchen, which is a powder-based system because powder doesn't put out properly um, fatty oil, cooking oil fires. Mm. Um, that needs to be like a wet chemical. Um, so they work really, really hard to educate. And you've got companies and, you know, government-run companies like Emirates Laboratories, safety laboratories working really hard at upgrading the region standards. But as I said, as long as the authorities allow these landlords to more or less do what they want, we're going to be having another six or seven of these conversations in 2024. Well, I guess that's it, right? The regulations are in place. There's an intent at least to educate and make people more aware. But I guess if the report comes back that there were no sprinklers or that the alarm wasn't working sufficiently, I mean, what kind of happens from there? What's the enforcement mechanism um, that could be used to to try to encourage landlords to take this a bit more seriously? Jail time. Mm. Simple jail time. Fines, you know, fines, 
you know the landlord will just you know the landlord will just disappear on a plane and never come back to Dubai. You know if they, you can hand out a half a million dirham, two million, three million dirham fines to these landlords, that you know they'll just if they can get out, they will. It's it's got to be it's got to be picked up proper jail time because you know it's the the laziness or or the 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 motivation to do things substandard to save yourself money, putting people's lives at risk. And actually, you know, there, as we said at the start, there was a fatality on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. It's got to be jail time. It's got to yeah. be. And 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 these people need need, need to be, you know, in, a, in a, a mugshot in the newspaper talking about what they did, talking about what they didn't do right. And and anyone else that's in that gang, anything happens with your buildings, we're going to come for you because that is the only way that these these are, are, you know they're, they're sharks these landlords uh, that will actually toe the you know toe the line and actually do the basic things that they're supposed to do. Now I'm not saying there was no fire alarm. I'm not saying the alarms didn't go off, and I'm not saying that there were no sprinkler systems. But being in the industry for the last twenty odd years, if if someone's running around a building raising an alarm and smoke's already in somebody's apartment, that would say to me, it doesn't sound like there was an alarm going off. Right. And if that, and and if you look at that much smoke in the videos, you know, there's absolutely no way smoke detectors wouldn't have gone off if they were operating. Gary, thank you so much for taking some time to chat about this. Obviously, very serious, very sad story. Yeah. And as you said, yeah. we do continue to see these stories. So hopefully we'll see some more strong action taken about them as well. Lovely. OK, you take care. Thank you for having me. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your Boxing Day. And for, thanks for joining us during your festive period. Take care, mate. Thank you. That's the voice there of Gary Sherrington Boyd. He is a fire expert and director for Rotorex Fire Tech. So big thank you for him for his insights on that subject matter. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. You are tuned into The Agenda with Sonal today and throughout the rest of this week as well. And as we're looking forward to 2024, I'd love to know if you have any personal challenges that you're going to take on. The reason being is we have a special guest in studio with us. Paula Ralph is a UAE-based resident, and she aims to be the first woman to complete the Cape to Cape, cycling from Cape Town in South Africa to Nordkap in Norway. And she's planning to set off in February for this 20 thousand kilometer ride. She joined us now to tell us a little bit more about her journey. Paula, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor. Well, I, there's one place I need to start with this because I understand you only started cycling relatively recently. Usually when you hear about people doing these journeys, 20,000 kilometers, you think, okay, this person's been at it for, for decades. <laughs> How, yeah. I mean, when did you actually start cycling seriously for the, for, for the first time? Yeah. So I actually bought the bike for the ride so 2020 <laughs> so wait a second what you're saying is is you decided to do this and then you started cycling yeah wow <laughs> yeah so um it was it was really sort of like through covid and stuff um i i guess like when we were having a little bit of a chat a, a second ago i was saying you know um it, it wasn't covid necessarily that there was the the reason for it, but it certainly was the catalyst for, you know, kickstarting me thinking this is now the time to to do something which you've always you've always wanted to push yourself. I've always wanted to challenge myself. Mm. Um, and COVID kind of like gives you that, do you know what? Life's too short. Let's get it. Let's get something, mm-hmm. you know, let's start. Let's challenge yourself a little bit. Um, and so... 
I saw a post. It was really funny. Everybody, nobody can believe this. They're like, you saw a post. I'm like, yeah, I saw a post talking about the longest walkable road from Cape Town to a little tiny town in Russia. And I said to him, mate, I want to do this. This looks really cool. And he goes, yeah, but walking, let's not walk, let's cycle. I'm like, okay, cool. I went out and bought a bike and started training. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that you bring up the road right away because that was one of my first questions when I heard about this is what does this route look like? Because when you say the longest walkable road, it's certainly not one road. I mean, what kind of route does it take you on? According to the, the, the post, I mean, you can actually walk it. Um, so it's, it's, it's like a big, long road, obviously not the same. I, I, I guess it sounds like it's one road. It's not, it's just one, one route, I guess, through, uh, Africa going then into the Middle East and, and up into, into Europe. Um, and then, yeah, it's sort of like you can link up the two and you can cycle or walk the whole way without hindrance. Um, that's the theory. I do have two ferries that I have to, to use. Okay. One's to catch from Egypt into Jordan. And then the other one is from Denmark into Sweden. Um, there's a really cool bridge in, going from Denmark to Sweden, and I was looking forward to cycling it. But apparently it's illegal, so I have to catch the ferry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, I think it's fair. I think after however many days you'll have been on the road by then, you might yeah. be looking forward to the ferry. You might be glad it worked it's, out that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, And then one of my friends, he just cycled from Italy to Norway in a challenge called the North... Uh, North 4000 or something like that. And one thing I hadn't seen or nobody said until he told me there's a there's a, actually a tunnel going into Nordkap. Okay. So it's a nine kilometer tunnel and it goes straight down and straight back up again. And he, he's like, that was... That was difficult. That's a tough one. I'm like, great. Okay, I've got that to look forward to on the last day. Well, well, how do you prepare for something like this? I mean, tell us a little bit about your training schedule, especially when you just bought the bike for the first time to set out to do this. Yeah. What does that training journey look like? Well, for the first couple of years, it was just me going out on the bike and and sort of like, you know, getting comfortable with, with cycling and trying to do as many hours on the bike as I could. Um, I did have a a coach who was like um, building up my strength in the gym and building up my core. And um, as time was ticking by, I'm like, I need a proper, I need proper training. Dubai, unfortunately, is pretty flat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I need hill training. I got to get out on the hills and... Um, the the internet being the way that it is, everything listens to you and suddenly there's all these adverts popping up. Going, yeah, sometimes it's a good thing. Know, sometimes it, it totally weirds it you really out. Is. And sometimes it actually helps you. So I, I ended up on a training a cycling training camp in Italy where I then met my coach. Okay. Ian. And um, I got back to Dubai after training in, in uh, Lake Garda, which is stunning, by the way. And um, I said to, to Ian, I'm like, do you think maybe perhaps possibly you could be my coach? And he was like, you know, it would be my honor. So, so now I just do what coach tells me to do. Okay. Whatever he sets out, that's the training. So it's a mixture between um, intervals and strength and conditioning and, you know, the endurance rides um yeah 
So it all gets thrown at me. <laughs> and how long are you expecting this whole journey to take you? 20,000 okay, kilometers. Okay, so I've put out to the universe. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I put out to the universe that I want to do it in 100 days or less. Um, but the route that I've mapped out and should everything go to plan, it's going to be 82 days. 82 days? Yeah. And is every single day, I mean, you must have every built single, in some rest days. No. Oh. No, every, so so rest days, it's it's difficult. If you, if you have a rest day, the next day getting on the bike after that rest day is harder. Right. So you just get in your rhythm, you get in your groove and you go and you don't stop until the end. So I'm going to be averaging 200 to 250K a day. And how many hours a day is that? Um, I'm gonna say 12 to 15 hours to be on the safe side. 12 to 15 Just in case, hours a you day. Don't, you don't know what you don't know what the weather's gonna be like, yeah, right? right? So if I'm averaging 25k an hour, that's great, right? So that's you know four hours for 100k, eight hours for for uh, 200 plus a little bit extra. But if you know you got Crazy storms or yeah. headwinds or <laughs> sandstorms. A little bit longer, the, a little bit harder. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you've got 85 days every single day, no rest days, 12 up to 12 hours a day on mm-hmm. average. Uh, talk to me about soreness and how you manage that. Get a really comfortable seat and ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like I average between four or five hours on the bike at the moment. Um I haven't really gotten sore too too much. I'm really good at so my job is I'm a sports therapist, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of know how to manage, you know, soreness and things like that. Um, I have one of those little handheld massage guns that's coming with me. That's going to save a lot of the the pain in the legs and things like that. I hope um, stretching. But yeah, it's just a case of at some point you kind of block it out and get on with the job. Right. And just a quick one before we we take a little break from this. But you said you average right now about four to five hours a day. You're looking at potentially doing up to 12 hours a day on average. Is there still a bit of a gap for you in terms of no? No. You feel ready for this? Yeah. Yeah, full on. I can't wait. So, So at the moment, the reason why it's like four to five hours is because I have to work. Um, you know, so there's only so many hours in a day where you can do everything. Um, I'm actually looking forward to the moment where I can just be on the bike and cycle and not have to worry about anything else. Right. Cause that, that's the, that's what's making it really tough right now is, is the training and the working and the everything. Whereas like, you know, okay, that part of life's going to get put on hold and it's just going to be cycling based all the way. It's been interesting to hear about your journey and what you have planned. I mean, tell us about how the living situation works. You're on your bike 85 days potentially throughout the course of this 20,000 kilometer journey. Is your sleeping equipment with you? Do you have a car, like a team that's carrying some provisions for you along the way? Yeah. So, um, I have a support crew. Um, it's going to consist of two people mainly. Um, one is going to be with me, the, Craig, my support team leader. He's going to be with me from start to finish. And then the other person, we might get a couple of people jumping in and out um, as they need to, but but Craig's the main guy. Um, so, yeah, so, so the support car essentially will be sort of um, – 
our our home base for for the next 82 85 days depending yeah. on my cycling abilities um we agreed craig and i agreed from the get-go the minute i contacted craig and spoke with him and said i've got this this crazy idea um we agreed that you know, if we need to sleep rough, we will sleep rough mm -hmm. because I'm pretty sure that we won't be able to get, you know, swanky hotels all along the route. However, there's there's a couple of hotels that I do plan to to try and aim for um, just to sort of like get a proper rest, refuel, refeed yeah. and, and a good shower. Um, so... Yeah, a lot of it's going to be camping. And a big question for all of this, when somebody takes on an epic sort of personal challenge like this, is the why. Why are you doing this? Yeah. So um, the personal challenge is always there, you know, and, and I've always wanted to see how far I can push myself physically, mentally. Um, and at the end of the day, I've always wanted to be able to create something bigger than myself. So the the idea is I want to inspire people to challenge themselves and push themselves and, and understand that it's never too late. There's always opportunities. You've just got to create them and you've got to go for it wholeheartedly and don't give up. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is I want to create a foundation to help disadvantaged children um, build a better future them, for themselves using cycling and education as a catalyst to to help improve just you know their lives and show them the way to do it themselves I think the problem with not the problem one of the issues we see in the world today is if you don't have the means to lift yourself up out and and give yourself a better opportunity in life it's difficult to to understand how, if nobody's showing you how, then you might want to be able, you might want to do it, but you don't know how. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea of the foundation is to to go into disadvantaged areas um, and help these children understand how to build a better future for themselves and become positive role members in society, so that they can contribute back to their, you know, their. Um, communities. So it's all for a good cause, of yeah. course. How can how can people learn a little bit more? I mean, while you're on the journey, I assume you're going to be posting along the way. Do you Absolutely. have an Instagram handle yeah. or some way yeah. that people can follow you? Yeah, yeah. So Instagram is the long ride C to C. C, the letter C to C. Um, so my amazing marketing lady, Hannah, will be um, pushing everything out on social media for me, making sure everything's updated. My website is available as well. So again, the longridec2c.com. Um, everything's longridec2c. So yeah, if you Google that, you're bound to find me. Yeah, follow Paula on her journey. It's definitely inspirational stuff. I think as, as we've sort of been mentioning throughout the show, people do like to think about some sort of challenge that they can take on for the next year. Maybe they're not going to be cycling 20,000 kilometers from the south of the world to the north, but there's always something for everyone. So a little Absolutely. bit of inspiration if you do want to check that out. So Paula, thank you so much for coming in and having a chat today. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. So if you want to keep up with Paula, you can follow her on her social channel channels. I'm sure when she's all completed with the journey, we'll be able to have her back in the studio to hear a little bit more about her story as well. So big, you know, wish her well and wish her good luck on her journey, which is starting off in February. 
You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. You might be used to hearing me on off script. Fahad, thank you for your message that you just sent in. Just SOSs about getting back to the show. I will be back next week. So I'll be back on off script when Georgia is back from her leave for now. You know, we like to play musical chairs around this time of year. Now, of course... New Year's Eve coming up, and the UAE is one of the leading global tourist destinations during this period, during Christmas and the New Year holidays as well. According to WeGo, which is a travel booking site, the UAE leads Middle Eastern flight searches for the holidays with over 300,000 searches for flights to the Emirates in early December recorded. According to WAM, the Emirates News Service, since mid-December, hotels in the UAE have seen occupancy rates absolutely skyrocket, surpassing 95% on New Year's Eve. Some establishments are expected to reach a 100% capacity. So we all know it's a busy time of year and it's a popular place as well over here in the UAE for New Year's Eve. And to find out a little bit more, joining us in studio is Emily Jenkins. She's Senior Manager Product of Product Development at DW Travel. Emily, thanks for coming in and making it into the studio the day after Christmas. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. And, you know, we were just talking along with Milani as well about plans for New Year's Eve, about Christmas as well. It's an expensive time of year, of course. But Milani, what do you have planned uh, over New Year's Eve? Do you find a way to manage what you've got going on for Christmas and New Year's Eve just to keep it manageable? Actually, so not to be very honest, I need to plan days before New Year's Eve, because what happened for me for Christmas Eve, it was so rushed. My yeah. family's here, mom. And I was like, so last minute, I booked um, a Christmas Eve dinner. So I chose this one because I had experienced before that it was, you know, food's yummy, yeah. service is good. Unfortunately, during the Christmas Eve dinner, so you paid, you know, a few thousands. And we were like, how many people? About 10, including the kids. Unfortunately, the selection was too limited. Oh. And the food is not, I was like, there was a point of um, when I was eating and after the dinner, I was like, I should have just cooked. Yeah. I'm an average cook, but that's the, that's the judgment. This. Yeah, and I checked with my brother, with my family. I was like, yeah, we all have the same sentiment. So this time for New Year's Eve, I need to plan ahead for sure. Okay, so you're potentially staying at home for New Year's Eve and doing uh, it yourself? Well, I or need to see. I need to book a gun, but I think I need to get more advices from people more around information. me. Yes. That's, I mean, I think that's the worst part, right, Emily? I mean, what can live up to the amount that we're paying? You think it's a special occasion, let me splurge. And then sometimes it just disappoints as well, I guess. It's a common experience that people have. Do you have New Year's Eve and Christmas figured out? Do you have a certain routine that you do? Yeah, so for the last five years, I think we've stayed in Dubai for the the period. I mean, the weather is fantastic. um, And my husband and I come from two different countries. So I I guess it's always (laughs) the toss of the coin, which way we're going. But we're really lucky because our family comes in to visit. So my in-laws are in town at the moment. Um, So yes, we did plan in advance because we had 30 people for lunch yesterday, um, which we cooked for. But um, I'm very organised and, you know, allocated people certain tasks, who was bringing what food. Um, but we are also very, very lucky that we live in a fantastic neighbourhood. Um, so for New Year's Eve, we one of our neighbours is having a party. So it starts in the afternoon. You know, we have a game of cricket. The kids get involved. Um, and then, you know, we move into the evening. We have a DJ, um, you know. It's, it's it's really good. Yeah, and you know, despite the fact that we were kind of talking about potentially staying at home, I've I've told you already off air that I tend to New Year's Eve refuse to pay 
you know, a thousand dirhams plus to have a mediocre night out, to mm. sit in traffic. I'm just absolutely not doing it ever again. For me, it's always about the house gathering at this point in my life. But, you know, it still is a very busy time for a lot of people over here. So what sort of numbers are we seeing in addition to the residents that are staying for the tourists that are actually coming into the UAE? Sure. So um, uh, our business at the moment is uh, we see that the UAE is um, our number one destination in terms of room nights. Uh, so it usually accounts for about 30% of our bookings. So that is staycations and inbound tourists um, coming in. Uh, on average throughout the year, um, about 23% of our total flight bookings are inbound uh, to the UAE. Uh, but at this time of year, we see that normally increases to, to about 29, 30%. And and in terms of why this is happening, why so many people are choosing to come here for for this period or this this time of year, I mean, you have a lot of a lot of things. A lot of people like a white Christmas, for example. A lot of people like to go somewhere that's snowy. But why are we seeing a lot of people come here to the UAE? Um, you know, I think. Uh Dubai and the the UAE uh, has worked incredibly hard to attract uh, international visitors. Um, You know, we're really lucky if you think about the size of the UAE. We live within a couple of hours drive of almost nine airports. So, uh, you know, the the capacity for people to come inbound, um, you know, is there in terms of uh, flights. Um, But I think, uh, you know, we have so much on offer. You know, as as I said before, the weather is fantastic. Um, The the quality of the accommodation, there's a wide range of different types of hotels. You can stay in the desert. You can, you know, go out to the palm. Um, You know, there's there's so many, um, you know, great places to stay. But I think also the variety of activities that you can do. There's lots of outdoor activities. You can go shopping, um, huge amounts of events. Um, you know, I know there's been lots of Christmas markets and um, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, but I think as well, people are uh, attracted to, um, you know, even the quality of the restaurants. Um, my in-laws, as I said, have come out and that's always their number one favourite thing to do is to go and eat in Dubai. So, um, and, you know, we're really lucky that we, we have that opportunity as well. And it seems like the prices really aren't putting that many people off from coming to visit here. What are some of the most popular um, events and attractions that you're seeing for New Year's Eve that people are going to get out and about to enjoy? Um, I think, uh, you know, we always get a lot of inquiries about the best place to watch the fireworks. Mm. So, you know, the different hotels. Um, I was actually uh, down visiting the um, Avani um, Palm Views. They've got an amazing um, uh, terrace where you can actually see, you know, right across from Blue Waters, JBR, you know, right down to the Burj um, to be able to see all of those uh, fireworks. Um, you know, people wanting to um, book yachts and go out um, for uh, on a boat for the night. So with a group of friends, you can often BYO or do your own catering for right. that as well. Um, and then obviously from the water, you can see a lot of what's going on. Um, people going camping in the desert. Uh, there's some amazing desert camps that have, um, uh, you know, that we have on offer. So, yeah, I think a wide range of activities. Definitely a wide range of activities and a lot of expensive opportunities as well. Yes. When, as you mentioned <laughs> yachts, I did see an article today. I want to say it was in Collegiate Times about people spending up to 25,000 dirhams on wow. a yacht experience for, for New Year's Eve. People are still really willing to splurge for special experiences. Yeah, I mean, um, if you have a look uh, for New Year's Eve out at um, the Royal Atlantis, I know that there are... Um, you know, tickets to see Sting and go to the uh, the gala dinner there are um, in the thousands, I think about four to 5,000 dirhams. Um, and a lot of the restaurants around, you know, Dubai Mall, Souk Al-Bahar, um, around the Burj Khalifa, 
you know, I think the minimum ticket price is about 2,000 dirhams per head for, you know, it does include beverages and food, but um, that's very much to have a front row seat of the fireworks. We're also seeing trends when it comes to residents. Are, are more and more people staying here over the festive period as opposed to going back home for many expats of, of where they came from? Are we seeing trends in that area? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, I think a lot of people tend to uh, stay put over the festive season and maybe push their holiday out to, uh, you know, that first quarter of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to be a bit cheaper than going over the Christmas period. Um, and, you know, I do think uh, that this is the best time of year to be here. So a lot of people tend to take that longer holiday in summer and uh, go back to home country. Um, and then use this one either um, for, you know, closer to home, shorter breaks or um, or staying put. So um, I think one of the other things uh, that we have, there's been a lot of coverage of um, this year is about the rising cost of travel right. um, and uh, lots of difficulties with people being able to get Schengen and USA visas. Um, so there's, you know, long wait times for both of those at the moment. So we often used to see um, a, a spike either in summer for Europe and the US and then winter, the other one would be up. Um, but I think uh, just with those difficulties with the visa that that same spike is not happening over the winter holidays. Um, in saying that, we are seeing, um, uh, you know, in terms of the trends for winter holidays um, outbound from the UAE, um, a lot of Eastern Europe, Poland has been really um, popular um, at the moment, same with the Czech Republic, um, Northern Europe, um, you know, we do normally get those um uh, you know, Lapland or right. Santa experiences. Lots of families um, off to do that. Um, and then very much um, uh, bookings to Asia. So Bali, Malaysia, Thailand are, are mm-hmm. usually pretty popular. Um, and Saudi Arabia um, is a big one. So over the last few months, we've had a lot of um, Umrah bookings as well as other tourist bookings. As well, well, actually, let's talk about Saudi Arabia. Is that going to be more of a trend for the UAE as we move into next year? Because, of course, you've we've always had some religious travel from the UAE. You have a lot of business travel. Are we seeing that uptick in tourism? Obviously, there's Al-Ullah there. There's a lot of tourism-related projects in, in Saudi. Are people still waiting a bit to, to let those projects develop or are we already seeing quite a demand to go to Saudi for tourism? So Al Ula is definitely the, uh, one of the most popular destinations in Saudi, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, for tourists. So that is already, um, uh, you know, popular. But yes, I think uh, generally we see um, visits to Riyadh and Jeddah and Al Ula as the top three places. Uh, but, you know, there's a huge amount of um, advertising and education happening at the moment with Saudi Arabia. So I definitely think over the next year, to two years, we will continue to see that rise. And, you know, you mentioned as well Eastern Europe. I've seen that as a trend as well. I think a lot of people have observed that happening. Why are we seeing Eastern Europe, especially as a trend from the UAE as, as a place to go visit? How much, what are people being driven by at the moment when it comes to making their travel choices? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think uh, there's definitely, we always see um, uh, any, I guess, social media or, or word of mouth um uh, tends to be a strong driver here. So, you know, if someone, we often get people coming in saying, can you book this holiday that my brother has just been on? It looks great. Um, but I think as well, uh, the it's uh, cheaper in terms of um, the cost of a holiday there compared to Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as well, a lot of people are, are like to look at new destinations or something that's a bit off the beaten track. So we've also seen um, places like um, uh, Latvia, um, uh, as I said, yeah, Poland has been really popular, um, uh, Estonia, that kind of thing, which is a bit more, 
you know, not as um, traditional Europe holidays. When it comes to discovering things that are off the beaten track, do you have any specific recommendations personally that you've experienced that you think, oh, this is a place that people haven't yet discussed? Because there's always that place. I think for a while, Georgia was a bit undiscovered until all of a sudden everybody was going there. Mm -hmm. And I think you see those trends every year of a place that was relatively um, not that traffic from a tourism perspective and then suddenly just blew up. Are there any places that you've you've enjoyed or that you recommend from a travel point of view? Um, we're getting a lot of, uh, well, we're starting to see a lot of the stans rise in popularity. Mm-hmm. So it was Bekistan, um, uh, Kyrgyzstan, um, anywhere, um, Kazakhstan, anywhere where they tend to make uh, visa restrictions easier. So if you can get a visa on arrival as a resident um, of the UAE, then that always drives uh, popularity and you tend to see um, uh, more airlines starting routes to those destinations. Um, I think, uh, I mean, in terms of off the beaten track, we, we don't, we have, haven't tended to see a huge amount of traffic going south in terms of, uh, you know, maybe like New Zealand, um, Australia, I think it's a lot further away. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think coming from New Zealand, um, uh, the Pacific islands, um, you know, uh, we, we do st- are starting to see a few more queries, but it is, I think it's just such a long way to go. Do you know what I mean? Because there's not a lot of direct, direct traffic that yeah. way. Of course. It's interesting that you mentioned the visa points that a lot of people are looking, of course, to go to places where the visas aren't such a hassle. I have an Indian passport. I know that hassle yeah. and I know that struggle. And it, and it really is something that, um, you know, if you don't go through that struggle, perhaps you don't really understand how challenging it can be. But I saw an interesting piece of news today um, that visitors to Kenya from across the world will not require a visa from yes. January. Mm. And that was announced relatively recently. The president, William Ruto, said the government had developed a digital platform to so for all visitors who could receive an electronic travel authorization in advance and instead of needing to apply for a visa. And I think that's that's a really good sign. Obviously, there's different reasons people have visas and countries have visas for security, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see that being eased up a little bit for the, the purposes of tourism, of course. And it, and it is really important to people when it, when it comes to organizing visas ahead of time? Well, it can be a huge barrier to travel, uh, you know, especially in terms of um, how much time in advance you need to plan for um, to make those bookings. We've always famously been a last minute market with a lot of people booking and traveling within a two week period. Mm-hmm. Um, and that visa, that, that um, you know, issue with uh, visas and not knowing if they're going to come through in time obviously can end up costing you a lot of money if you have to cancel plans. Um, a lot of countries as well require that you have booked your holiday when you apply for the visa, so it is quite risky. Um, but I think Kenya definitely will be on the list next year as a trending destination. I know that Fly Dubai are starting a direct flight to Mombasa mm-hmm. um, in the year as uh, early on in the year too, which will obviously help with capacity and for um, people to be able to go and do a different type of holiday. Um, and, you know, it, safari has always, you know, African safari has also always been popular from here. It's only a four-hour flight. Um, you know, it's an awesome holiday. I think my uh, I've been to Kenya twice and it was by far one of the most amazing holidays I've ever had. So Yeah, I've been to Mombasa as well. I would definitely yeah. recommend it. I'm with you on that one. So it's nice to look forward to some trends of 2024 that we might see. Emily, thanks so much for joining us in studio. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming in today of all days. I know that it's a busy weekend, of course, with family. And so we really appreciate you making the time. Tune into the agenda every weekday from 10 a.m.